Welcome to the Best Ever You Show with your host, Elizabeth Hamilton Garino, CEO and founder of the Best Ever You Network. The Best Ever You Show is here to help you live your life to the fullest. How? Real people, including celebrities, real advice, real places, products, and businesses, real life stories. With this radio show, printed magazine, websites, community, and more. And now, here is your host, Elizabeth. Good afternoon. I almost said good morning, everybody. (laughs) Morning, afternoon, whatever it is to everybody. Hello, hello, and thank you so much for listening to the Best Ever You show. We are a live show on Block Talk Radio for over four years now. We're coming up on 2.5 million downloads, listens, and shares. And so it's all grassroots. There's no PR firm behind anything I do from, you know, my Hay House book to my Best Ever You website to anything. We're all grassroots. And so we really, when we say really appreciate, it's like bold, italic, emphasized, uppercase, (laughs) shouted from the rooftops, appreciate you guys listening and sharing and, you know, following all we do because it truly is um, totally grassroots and husband funded. So um, let's have a guest with me um, today. Uh, she's a fellow Hay House author and um, her name is Lily Leonardi. And um, Lily, I wanted to make sure I pronounced your last name right because I didn't get a chance to ask you before we went live on the air. Did I say that right? I've never talked to you yes, before. You did. <laughs> oh, good. Okay, <laughs> just double checking. We don't want to. We don't want to display your name before we get started. But uh, oh, that's Lily, all right. yeah, thank you so much for being here. Um, Lily, is, uh, her website, if you're following along and and on your computer, um, is lilyleonardi.com. It's L I L L I E L E O N A R D I dot com, and. Uh, we're going to have an angel show today. I'm really excited about this because um, I'm one of those people who's always been quiet about angels until recently. And um, I've encountered a few people who actually talk openly and loudly about their encounters with angels and other people's encounters with angels. And so I'm fascinated. And um, I, what I did a few, I think it might've been a few months ago now was I, I reached out to this group of Hay House authors expecting nothing in return. Um, just, I didn't really expect anybody to even really answer me. I figured it would all be old emails or something. And, um, this is a blessing. Um, Lily responded and, um, her books were just what I needed at the time. And I just want to share her and share her books with you and welcome you to the show, Lily. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thanks, Elizabeth, for the opportunity to share with you and your audience. I greatly appreciate it, and congratulations on your on your book, Percolate. I tell you, Thank I've been you. reading through it, and I'm really enjoying the chapter, Laugh Until Coffee Shoots Out of Your Nuts. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm really in, uh, I think the problem in today's world with so many that we forget about the joy, and um, it brought back a lot of fun fields memories of with nine siblings and laughter so thanks for your book came at the right time too to help percolate my uh, <laughs> my mind a bit so thank you yeah it's interesting how you meet people for a reason and you never know quite why and I, I just I believe in that and I I believe in that as I've met you we have so many things in common too like you've got um, nine siblings I've got 11 you know it's all these things there were little there were little co- common things and like the, I keep emailing you going look we got that and that and that um, but you okay just aside from your books for just a second you yes you have done something that you know I don't know that, okay, this is going to be kind of general and correct me and all those funky things and make it politically perfect and whatever, but, you know, you're, you were in the FBI, I mean, and you're a female, and there, I mean, it just doesn't seem, you know what I mean? It's so cool to me. I don't know how to quite explain it, but when I came, I'm like, oh, that's neat. You know, girls that are police officers and FBI and detectives and all these things, we're mm-hmm. really breaking down barriers, aren't we? I think to some degree, um, I, I think we've broken down barriers, and I think it has a lot to do with the women that are raising um, their sons to be kind and caring and respectful of women. You know, I was raised in a home just like you. I don't know if you were raised Catholic, too, but I'm going to uh, 
guess yeah. that you may have been based on the number of siblings. But, you know, my mom had 10 of us and went back to college. Um, I think I was in seventh grade and got dual doctorates and became a professor and worked for 30-some years and still at 83 works. But when you ask her what her success was, she she will tell you every time she had the best husband. He encouraged her uh, to go uh to go back to school and make herself content with, you know, like she was intelligent. And I remember when he sat us down and said um, mom was going back to school and that we all kind of, he either put everything into context of the Bible or football, that we, in this time, it was all (laughs) about being the team. The team had to work together. Now, when I was growing up, you know, I resented it a lot because it was such an extra load. Uh, in your teenage years, but as I entered into my career post a divorce or in the midst of a divorce, I began to realize more and more uh, how tough it had to, you know, it had to have been. And my dad loved his mom and his sisters, and he did the same thing with, with his wife. So I think more and more as we raise, you know, as we raise our sons and daughters, to be mindful that you limit yourself in your own mind. It has nothing to do with gender or any of the other elements that are in one's life. It's, if mm-hmm. you can visualize it, as my dad always said, you can make it happen. And at 14, um, I wanted to uh, join the FBI. That was one of my dreams at a pediatrician. Very much extremes, I guess. One, yeah. one, uh, and from the other. But um, I, as you know, in the books, I got pregnant and married at sixteen, and that kind of quashed things for a while, you know, because I, I chose my 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 daughter and um, uh, to to be a part of her life and to know her, and it put me um, behind with dreams for you know probably about um, twelve to fifteen years compared to. But I look at my life as having been just like our friendship developed, of having been placed in the right place at the right time, and then the universe took, you know, uh, presented itself with uh, the opportunities. I love that. Absolutely love that. Um, and, you know, the one thing as I was reading your books, which, by the way, if you're listening, um, she has two books. I, I think you, you may even have more than that, but we're going to just talk about these two for this for this moment. Um, In the Shadow of a Badge. And then the latest one is The White Light of Grace. So if you haven't picked up those books yet, uh, they're amazing. And they're uh, where did you where did you get the courage to be so um, honest? and vulnerable. And, um, I read those books. I'm like, wow, she's so cool. You say it, you know what I mean? You know, cause sometimes you're like, I know I was raised like sometimes like, um, you know, to everybody else, everything's perfect, but they may really not be, you know, kind of thing. And, and I think in both of our books, we are like, things aren't perfect folks. And here's why. And you, you did that. Um, was that intentional or did that just come out in your writing or is that your style or? Well, I've been writing since I was 16 and most of it started out as poetry. And the first book that I wrote and I've never published, it was called Thoughts of a Woman Named Trouble. Maybe someday I would. But mm-hmm. my 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 parents, uh, like probably again like yours, uh, we were taught not to talk about too many things. And as a small child, uh, as the as the second book describes about how I saw angels as a child, but my mom also has a saying that I came out of the womb telling her where to go because I had my own mind. But <laughs> post nine eleven and when everything um, you know happened and um, uh, like a lot of the responders, you, you know we ended up with uh, varying degrees of post traumatic stress. One of the things that the the um, the therapist that I uh, went, you know, through the health of the FBI to to uh, determine who would be, be best to help me heal, she told me that journaling would be a very uh, important element to healing. And so the journal, the journals actually became the first book. Um, as I journaled, it 
was segmented like in little, but it flowed as if the whole story uh, was was being told. And so, um, my one of my closest friends is my brother, who also happens to be an attorney. And I gave it to Sam to read first. And um, in reading it, he told me that it was more of a book, uh, that he felt that I was telling the story of 9-11 from my perspective, my interpretation of it, and what had transpired, and then about, you know, about the angels. And I was most fearful about telling about the angels on, for two, two reasons. One, because of my past and how religious I had been raised, I didn't think I was worthy of sharing the message with the world. Um, second, I was concerned, you know, everything that related to my job. But having right. gone through the therapy that they call, uh, that's, uh, that's uh, called eye movement desensitization reprocessing, EMDR, and it would take a whole show to explain exactly what, what that is. But it's it's not hypnosis, but it kind of puts you in a place where your both sides of the brain open up and release, like, all the information and the details. And during the some of the initial um, uh, sessions, um, I was going at that point, the early point, maybe twice a week. So in the initial sessions, it talked about all the horror of the events and all the stories that, you know, were told by family members who had lost their loved ones and how much it affected them and and listening to everything, including fellow responders and what you saw and what you did. and Because it was an entire community within that crash site that worked together. So there was a lot of information to share that could be shared. And so um, I think for me, um, having told that, uh, it took everything inside of me. And once I did, that authentic part of me had no fear anymore because it was almost like you fulfilled one of the most significant elements of your life to tell to tell that story. Now, initially, you know, there was a lot of uh, back backlash from it, and that's not important at this. But the significant point I was once was leading up to was during the EMDR sessions. Everything about the angels and then some came through during these sessions, and it was almost like a relief because. You know, in the world I lived in, uh, that word, uh, the the biggest word I kept hearing was um, there. May, it, it may have been like something delusional because I was so uh, so upset. Like most of us were that. Day. Nobody wants to hear but, that. You know what I mean? Nobody wants to hear that. You know, and, and I'm not saying like nobody wants to hear that on the radio right now. I'm I'm saying like from your point of view, that's the last thing you want to hear about yourself when you you know when you believe you saw what you saw and you know that you saw what you saw, you don't really want somebody going, well, you know, because you have this, you know, it's, it's, you didn't really see it. I don't like that. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Well, so did, yeah, how'd you fight that? But two things happened. I didn't yeah. fight it. I didn't have to because oh, my employer assigned or connected me to this, this psychologist. I didn't choose the psychologist, my employer, because of my, my status, um, mm-hmm. um, you know, like you have you have like like top secret clearances, so you can't just knock on anybody's door to talk about your work. Right. So through my employer, they assigned basically me to work with her. So I knew her credentials uh, far exceeded like even uh, she specialized in in uh, the treatment of trauma and teaches at the Omega Institute and teaches that. Uh, clinical, big institutional clinics and, and different things on it. So she audio tapes everything, even to this day, if I have to go, like, just like I have to go, I go for Reiki sometimes or acupuncture, I go get a reboot, you know, to, to be mindful too. And so all the information and having been an investigator, all the information fell into place. So from that point on, it didn't matter to me who said what to me. 
As far mm-hmm. as I was concerned, the facts were the facts were the facts. And if you needed them, they were there. And um, so from that point on, I think it helps when you're older, too. Like, I'm 60, so um, it's important that what you leave behind, you know, it's not important who believes me. It's important that I deliver the message and how it's intended to be received is received. It's not in my control. So it's important to talk about, you know, the angels. It's important to talk about you know, my perception of, of how I perceive God. And like I tell people when I begin my my lectures or on book travels and that, my, and my perception of God and yours doesn't have to be the same thing. It's about the sharing of the messages and the openness to talk and the relatability. Your journey and my journey are different, but there's relatability in, in it that the allows for you to become your authentic self. And I think that's most important. That oh, you, I love as that. You say, the best I love you, that. about authenticity. And you're preaching it every day using different, different wording, but it's the relatable meaning of becoming the best you before, you know, your human experience leaves the earth. I really like the way you just said that. And I like the fact that, um, I, yeah, I just I'm going to listen to that over and over again. I think it's going to be a clip that replays for me a lot because it's a really good reminder. And I think it's also a really good reminder um, that if you're scared to do something, and even even if you're not 60 or 47, you know, maybe you're 20 and listening, mm-hmm. you know, go for yeah. it at a younger age, you know, and and stick to your stick to your uh, whatever, you know, stick to your self confidence and and so forth and. Um, all that you just said to be, to be your best and be your authentic self, because um, yeah, I've got, I've got four boys and we teach a lot of that in this mm-hmm. house. It's interesting. You just said that. Mm-hmm. So I'll play that for them too. Um, cool. Um, and I agree. You know, I really like that. It doesn't that. matter the age. Yeah. It, it doesn't matter the age and you're a hundred, but I think as we become more open to spirit and we like you're teaching your four sunset. I talk to my four grandchildren about the importance (laughs) of being open, of not hiding, you know, in those beliefs. Much like what we're seeing today in in the world. More and more young people are becoming engaged in expressing their thoughts, whether it's spiritual, political, um, an everyday form. They're understanding, you know, but my parents did raise me to believe they were both educators, so to believe that one voice can change can change the world and think about whether it was in past in his, history, the change or present day, one voice can lead to change can change the world in in, in different ways, and so I firmly believe that we all need to give voice to be heard, to deliver the messages and 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 be open about our connectivity to the divine. And and for me, maybe it's, it, you know, I was raised to believe that um, there were angels. And on that day, on probably the worst day I, I hope I'll ever see in, in our history, um, I, I, I called out to, to them and... and asked for help and they weren't there just for me so I don't want to place it in that but Mm -hmm. my the the vision that manifested was there was present um, to bring help and and comfort and and healing in a a time of great tragedy to um to anyone listening, do you want to describe a little bit more about your your role on that day and where you were and where you saw the Legion of Angels and give more details around that in case anybody um, hasn't well, read the book who's listening? Uh, well, um, as you said, uh, my employer was, you know, the FBI, and um, after uh, all the crash incidents, um Myself and two other gentlemen were deployed up to um, the crash site to take up mobile command. 
and I'm sure people understand what that it's it's what mobile command is, and it was the stage because um, just like each each of the um, you know the the towers had extreme uh, and the Pentagon, and that everybody had like issues. Ours had to do with it being a rural area. So um, on the way out there, you do like what you. What you've trained to do is prepare as best you can uh, in your mind. And the gentleman that was driving Noble Command and I never even said a word to each other for like an hour and a half. And when we got there, um, we got out of the Noble Command and we watched firefighters uh, leaving because a part of the, there's a little forest surrounding like the, the landfill portion of the um, of the site. And the, the forest had caught fire, and they had come to, uh, of course, put it out. And when I saw them, their faces, um, you know, I started off as a patrol officer and um, was around firefighters and EMS and a lot, and their faces looked very bewildered. And so um, we walked up onto a bluff, if you look at the present-day site, it's where the 40 trees are planted, and it overlooks the rock that marks the actual uh, crash site, where the, the plane actually uh, crashed. And um, uh, we stood up there, and um, all you could see was just bits and pieces, remnants of what was once part of the plane and humanity, just like scattered in every direction. And... Um, I felt a sense of almost like three people standing there in one, the law enforcement professional who was going to have to, you know, report back on what you had witnessed. And um, because of my, I was community affairs, that would mean like ancillary services, like immediate ancillary services. And then um, the mom who just wanted to stand there crying and, uh, thinking about all the moms that wouldn't be able to say goodbye to their children because you know what I'm talking about with four kids. Oh yeah. You, know, you everything that relates to them, you know, you you want to be a part of. And then the spiritual human being that was calling out like to God to to help m- me gather enough courage. And you know when I talk about me too. I don't want to make it look like I'm thinking I did anything more special than anybody else. There were about 1,200 responders that worked in various, from, you know, security to investigation to the community and and helping the surviving family members to service organizations like the Salvation Army and the Red Cross. And it was one of the only times in my 25-year-plus career that I ever saw everybody work so wonderfully together. Everybody was serving in the best interest of the fallen heroes and their families and trying to do everything we could to bring comfort to them. So when I talk about myself, I'm only like one of, like I said in the book, like a beehive that did her part while everybody else did theirs, you know, so I don't want it to make it sound like um, I was any different than anyone else because everyone worked, and nobody cared what their job description was at that point. They did what they could um, uh, in tandem, and so as we stood there, there were a couple of guys to the left, and um, if I remember right, that they were, they also worked for the Bureau. And there were several to the right of us um, that uh, I was later told they were either FAA, FAA or NTSB, and I don't to this day recall who it was. And one or two of them was in semi-protective uh, gear. And so as we stood there, there were these ponds uh, of water that still exist there that I saw like the this light, like these twinkling lights um, uh, coming up off the water. And initially I thought it might have been fish, uh, that something had maybe landed in the pond or the jet fuel had gone into the pond and now the fish had had died and they were on 
the surface and their scales were kind of like bouncing back. They looked like mm-hmm. twinkling lights. And so when I stood there, um, you know, as I said, I wanted to cry. And you had two guys, one on each side, and then guys to the left and guys to the right. And I thought to myself, you know, you learned a long time ago in my first days of policing, you don't cry in front of the guys. So I just prayed and asked, you know, to be able to have the strength. And so as I'm praying, I see this light get stronger and my eyes kept going in the direction of this light. And um, uh, all of a sudden it turned like a white mist and it opened up and I saw what I call a legion of angels. And after I describe a little bit, if you want me to, I'll read like a paragraph because out of of the book that better describes. But so, of course, my initial reaction was, oh, I'm going to lose my mind. I'm losing my mind. And so I started praying even more and kept saying, God, if that's you. Now, I knew they were archangels because anybody that raised the way we were and you go to Catholic school you know what the archangel looks like. And they were tall. The bluff is is a good maybe eight, nine, ten feet off the ground. And they were almost as tall in the way their their, uh, wings arc. They knew they were archangels. There were so many of them. They were stanced in like military style. I saw what I believed to be female and male facial features. I saw brown and, and, and like blonde golden hairs and every variation that you can imagine. And then face facial features and, and skin color of, I believe, every culture that you could, you know, imagine. And when I talk to people um, in, in, in my, my book chats, I say I kind of liken it to the fact that there was an estimate of 93 cultures were affected in the Twin Towers. And so for me, the, those, the angels reflected that, 93. Those, every culture, yeah. That to me, that's that's kind of brings, makes sense to me when I recall the, the vision. And so they were dressed in what I say Roman centurion garb. And one was out front, and I knew it to be Archangel Michael because of the childhood incidents uh, that happened. And and, and he, he was the only one appeared, that apparently had a saber and it was angled down. So again, in my quiet mind, I'm freaking out thinking I'm imagining. So I'm asking God for help. If it's you, show me a sign. And I always laugh when I talk about it because there's a sign in front of you and you're asking for another sign. Your human experience is not able to grasp it. And so at that particular moment, the guys from the right told us to clear the field. Um, we, the, the, the fire was smoldering again, and we were standing there in every day. I was in, if I remember right, a black skirt, a white shirt, black hose, and black heels, and you were standing on like hazardous. Uh, material you know and so we moved to the right and I asked um, God again if that's you give me a sign I looked the angels were were still present and so I we moved to the right and all of a sudden there was a suitcase lying on the ground and it was sprawled open and the contents had spewed out but everything was there intact except a little bit of like singe on some of the clothing And so one of the guys made a comment about um, the suitcase made it, where's the bodies? And so we walked a little bit further, and I looked back again, and the angels were still there, and I asked for the third time, if this is you, God, please give me a sign. So we walked up on, there was a Bible laying on the ground. Now, you have to understand, this was a rural area. And when we first arrived, there wasn't even a bird chirping. Uh, You didn't see a squirrel. And later on, I was told it was because that animals run from fires. They're not like people. We run toward it. Animals run away from it. So it was like eerily quiet, too, like just uh, 
you know, no sounds of what you would expect. And so we walked upon this Bible, and it was closed. And again, it was all intact, and it was singed around the edges. And one of the guys again said that the Bible made it, you know, where where were, you know, like the the remains the people. of, of yeah. the people. And so I had almost simultaneously asked for the sign, and all of a sudden, a wind came in from nowhere, opened up the Bible to Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And this big brown hawk took up off, like up into flight off the ground. At that moment, I turned around, the vision was gone, and everything inside me said, don't ask again because the, the lightning bolt's going to, you know, present itself. And so I took myself for a moment, reflected, put it, like almost I etched it in my mind and I went back and did and did my job. Now, anybody that questions the ability to go back to your job doesn't quite understand the level of training that goes with this or how even some victims of trauma when they've been uh, uh, hurt in some way are able to either fight, flight, or fright. It all has to do with that part of your brain, the amygdala, that takes over that that you know to serve that survival mechanism. And so, years later, as I began to explore, as I moved out of uh, into the healing process, um, I've I've met with many responders, most of whom are from the World Trade Center, who had not the story of a legion of angels, but a moment when they believed they were about to die and the, and something angelic presence appeared and helped them get out of the tower or protected them while they lay under a fire truck as the towers came down. And so actually working on a book about it, um, It'll take me probably another couple years, but we titled it Tainted Souls While I Grieve, I Hope. And in the middle of their grief of that moment, they called to God and believed that miracles happened. So I'm not the only one that has a a, a story to share um, uh, about that day. And so I will tell you as we wrote the book, um, and it was edited, There are no words in the English language that will adequately describe the beauty of that moment. Try as I may what the light looked like. A white cloud, the whitest cloud can't even come close to the light that surrounded those angelic beings. Nor can I adequately describe their beauty. Um, I can see it in my mind. I can feel it in my heart. And my spirit's uplifted every time I talk about it, but I can't adequately describe the beauty and the brilliance of that light. Wow. It's, um, I got to stop for one second. I'm just listening, I'm listening to you and I, and I hear, um, there's like a, almost like a, a sense of peace that comes through when you talk about that. I don't know if you, if you've ever been told that or not, you probably have been, but, um, I'm curious. One of the questions I wrote down while you were talking, um, why do you think some people can see that and some people can't? I think we're all gifted. I just don't think we're open to it. Um, I think sometimes, like, you know, I have family members that have a hard time with it because it doesn't equate with their version of, like, what our religious background is. I think people are afraid, you know, just like me and just like you, what, what you've said. And in my travels, thousands of people that have been at chats and, and, and talks that talk about how um, even if they mentioned it, like as a child, they were told to be quiet. People will think you've lost, you know, your any yep. sense of, of your mind or whatever. And I think... It, it's it's about fear, um, and so when the more we talk about it, the more people find comfort because they have relatable stories. You know, I always start by with a show of hands, whether there's 25 or 
three or four hundred in a group with a show of hands, how many people believe in the presence of angelic beings? In every group, it averages 95 to 98%. So I have them keep their hands up until everybody else looks around the room. Now look around the room. 95 to 98%. And if you look at the dogma of every major religion in the world, they have at least one winged messenger present, present, you know, uh, mentioned within their doctrine. And so I think it's it's just uh, the biggest thing is fear, maybe fear of mm-hmm. your religion. I can't tell you how many times uh, we've we've sent out the book um, uh, to speak at. Uh, particular, and I've been told, um, well, you're not talking uh, in the language of a particular religion. And I say to them, it's not about religion. It's the connection of to the divine. It's the connection of spirit. It's our humanity. It's our spirituality. And the angels are non-denominational. And yeah. that's not me saying that. That's in the dogma of all these religions, the all these beliefs. It's angels are non denominational. So why would it be my place to say, if you're not this, then you can't see them. If you're not that's not my place. My place is to share my story. How anybody chooses to interpret it is is nothing I can control. What I want to leave when when I leave from a chat is for people to find comfort, find a direction of healing. And find a direction to feel comfortable with themselves. That, as we said, and your show does the same thing, the best ever you, you know, before you leave this earth. To find that part of you that makes you comfortable and content and makes you understand that you're fulfilling your purpose and your dreams by allowing yourself to be who you were meant to be. I'm just writing that down too. I'm going to listen to that again too. Um, good reminders. Um, can I keep asking you questions about angels just so we learn? Surely. Um, and whether you Surely. answer them or not, it's fine. I I just I'm wondering if you if you as you've thought about this and gone gone through this over and over, have did you did you have you ever figured out why they were there, what their purpose for being there was? Do you know? During the during the EME, EMVR sessions, um, as I said, the first couple months were all about the gory detail. Yeah. And then in the fall of 2008, as we moved into it, um, there was a difference uh, in the uh, even the voice on, and they I was told that through the channeling during the EMVR that the angels were sent to pursue the defeat of violence. And that I put a little excerpt in the book. Let me just pull it up here because I want to I yeah. read it. And then that Archangel Michael, uh, if those that have had the book and haven't bought it, you'll see that there was an image that I had an artist create. And I love that. So what page are you on? It's, a, it's right, um, it's, Actually, it would be before the first chapter. It's okay, after it. the prologue, the preface. Perfect. And so you'll see that there's an archangel that laid down his sword and embraced oh, yeah. his heart. And what I put there was because it was what we heard as far as the audio tape. On that day, I saw a vision of an archangel laying down his sword and embracing his heart. I took it to symbolize the metamorphosis of humanity to the higher level of spirituality. The warrior was beckoned to lay down his weapon and move toward the light and love of an open heart. And I think that that reflects a lot about um, our, our, even our current world. I mean, everybody wants to move in one direction, and I think we need to be more open to uh, our hearts. And um, believe me, if my mom were on the phone with you and if my dad were alive, um, I've always had like a warrior mentality. I was the one, if if someone hurt my brothers or sisters, I was the first one 
you know, after them to protect them. And my dad had a saying, he did it lovingly, that I was too stupid to be afraid. I had a nickname of Tiger as a kid so that you can imagine. I was pounced <laughs> before I would ask yeah. questions. Yeah. So the hardest thing for me was that transition, even now at my age, is to not embrace like that warrior. If something negative happens, the first thing I want to do is like jump in front of it and 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 make sure nobody gets hurt. But I think that we have to move toward that open heart and be more loving um, in our approach to, you know, letting down the guard of the ego and opening up more to the heart of the spirit. I, I think that that's very important in, in, in today's world as it was on that day. Hatred, hatred bred what transpired. Um, that day everything we see going on in the present world relates to hatred to not being respectful of another's viewpoint and having you know we've we've seen a surge of it as of late and it's people's fear people's hate and i believe that that's what the angels said that day that they were there to pursue the defeat of violence i think it's very relevant in today's world Okay, now this might be, um, I don't know, it just might not be a good question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, do, um, I don't know if it's going to be the most articulate either, so just bear with it and fix it for me. <laughs> Help okay. me out here. So all the people That's that perished, right. yeah, all the people that um, perished right there at flight, at the Flight 93 crash, mm-hmm. um, do you think angels visit to take care of those people and help them get to heaven and protect them and make sure they're okay or are angels for the living or how does, how does that all work? Cause I, I, I'm, I'm kind of confused about uh, the role of angels. I, I never can, I'm learning. That's the best way I can explain it. Do they, do they help people go from one place to another does that make I sense think they at help all? the living. Yeah, I think they help the living and the transitioning because when you talk, when I ask people to share their stories, and again, I do it at every event, I ask, has anyone ever felt, heard, or saw the presence of an angel? Um, and it's, mul- it's, it's, it's in a multitude of responses, just pretty much like, you know, you see in movies um, today. Um, uh, bringing more spirituality out into it. I've I've heard stories about the moment that they were in need, like it was a life-threatening situation, yeah. or the moment when they were on the operating table and, and felt that they had a near-death experience with an angelic being. But I've also had hundreds of comments from people that tell me, that the moment that a beloved person was about to die or left, they saw an angelic or they felt a touch or they heard a whisper, mm-hmm. you know, that related to the angels. So if you look, if you study, and I, I'm not a theologian, so I want to make that clear, but in studying like the history of the angel, I try to do, if you look at my library, or, you know, my little library, it's probably 75 to 80% that relate about, the history of angels and that, or talk with others that work in in the field. They're they're here to guide, protect, heal, and manifest dreams. So they're here to relate to the whole human experience and the connection, you know, of the spirit. And again, if you look historically, well, just for for instance, just take our Catholicism because that's the way you were taught. Almost yeah. every significant event in the Bible, whether it related to the announcement of Jesus coming, um, uh, the announcement, or when he when he rose from the dead, the you know the um, uh, the birth, the the death. If you look within that the story structures of of the Bible, winged messengers Angels, yeah. were portrayed significantly. And so it wasn't just at death, it was birth. Mm-hmm. It was incidents of where someone was in dramatic trauma 
uh, like about to die, and they appear to protect them. So I think it's the same in, in today's world. And again, I don't say it to be argumentative with anybody's religion or anybody's fears. I say I base it off of, you know, as a cop and, and working with the Bureau, we did a lot of research. I set out to research because I needed to know before I opened my mouth to share, was I the only one that felt like this? Did I? And, it, and it's gone on. If you look at, I think, the first depiction like of what you would consider artwork, if I recall right, it, it's, a, it's a stone slab that dates back, I think it's to 750 A.D., and I believe it hangs in the New York Metropolitan Museum. And it was, it's a, a I just piece saw of that. art dated back. Did you? Okay, yep. well then. And, and it dates back, and it's a winged messenger delivering a message to, to, a, to a, a, a depiction of a human being. So it's gone a lot longer than, you know. I had a grandmother, my dad's mom, who if someone she would smell roses and then see a vision of a a person that she knew. And within a day or two, that person would pass. What was that? You know, there, you know, and again, all these stories of, and more and more, whether you follow Facebook or Instagram, more and more you see people sharing stories about what just transpired. And so we can't all be delusional. I mean, and it can't date back to the first ancestors and the mysticism that surrounded the original religions before we moved into the direction, you know, we do, we, we have. So if you, if you look at historically and you go to gather the facts and you do research, it comes, it comes out in my human mind that, that we're all gifted it's just how open, um, and I think the the biggest factor is if you're afraid of it, you know, I think that's the biggest factor. Yeah. Um, do you mind if I keep you for just a little bit longer? I know we've gone over the 30 minutes, but we're still in record that's mode. Fine. Do, you, do you have time? That's okay. Um, no, that's fine. Okay, so we'll go maybe like 10 more minutes and just and just uh, and keep talking a little bit more. Um I know you've said this a few times that you encountered angels as a child. So um, mm-hmm. I know one of the questions I wanted to ask you was prior to this event, had you ever encountered angels? And you also talk um, in your second book about your uh, your grandchildren a little bit more. Do you want to talk about mm-hmm. that and talk about like kids and angels and people and angels and you know, all that, all that good stuff? I'll tell you what stuff? I, We've done workshops with children, with angels, and it's just amazing. Even like it would take too long to explain the exercises and things, but Mm -hmm. just the movement of their energy and the connection, like um, uh, it it just far exceeds what what an adult is, like when you gauge the the movement of the energy and how they connect. But as a child, my, uh, right before I published the first book, maybe about the year before, um, my mom came to the house the day after Christmas, and we were having a conversation about the books. And one of the first questions she asked me was, "Is it about the angels at Flight 93?" I said, "Yes." And then she said, "What about the blue man with wings?" And I looked at her, and as she, as soon as she said that, so many things started coming back in my mind, and. I got very angry with her and asked her how she knew about the blue man with wings. And she said, when I was a little girl, maybe the age of three to seven, I would come down at night. Sometimes they were sleeping. Sometimes they were watching like Johnny Carson or Benny Hill or one of those late night shows. And I would tell them that the blue man with wings was up in the room. Dad would come up, look under the bed, open up the walk-in closet, and he would tell me no one was there. And I would be insistent that he was in the room smiling. So fast forward to um, my, when my my daughter and her, her eldest child came to live with me um, when she the little one was only nine months old. 
a relationship was breaking up and and so uh, she was raised in this I bought the house I'm in now uh, so she did, my daughter could bring uh, the little one home and so um, um, as she grew up and she got a little bit bigger uh, we went on a trip to South Carolina and um, we got a little bit lost and I said something for her not to be afraid we would we would find our way. And she shared with me, after you go a certain distance, you'll see a sign and it'll be okay. You make that turn and, and we'll be there home. We'll be back to the hotel safely. Now, this kid was four or five years old. And I said to her, well, how do you know? And she said, well, the blue man's here. And he just told me. <laughs> and, like, I remember the blue man. I don't remember it quite that young, but I remember him. And She's talking about him, and now my mom's talking about him. And it was almost like in that moment, because my mom was the one that hushed me and told me never to tell anybody that they would have thought I, I lost my mind. It was almost like that. What's, what we talk about in the Bible about the blessing of the Father. My father was dead at that point. And so the blessing of the mother came, and it was almost like, Something inside of me quieted down, opened up, and said, it's okay to move forward with all of this. Whatever happens is not as significant as that whatever you need to do to fulfill your life in the manner that befits your spirit, then move forward and do it. And so um, that's how I knew on that day who Archangel Michael was. I had seen him as a child, and I saw him as an adult. And it talks about in the second book. That's why I call it the white light of grace. There were moments when I heard whispers uh, of what to do, why I was doing my job. I had no idea who or what it was, but now I understand it was the messages of the angels. Did your mom ever admit um, to seeing angels herself? My mom has not, but the grandchildren and and other members of the family have, have, you know, extended family. And we've shared short stories about when, you know, my grandmother told me things that I never knew she talked to others. Um, And post the the release of the second book, a couple first cousins who shared the same grandmother shared stories about when they had significant uh, talks with her as well. So, again, it's like all the research is being done and everything's starting to fall from my childhood, but but also relatives, you know, close relatives, first cousins. And then in the travels, all these other people that have these magnificent, magnificent, excuse me, stories of the moment that they felt, heard, or saw what they believed to be an angelic being. So... You know, the investigator in me is now satisfied that there's more there than something that's tangible to touch, that there's something greater um, out there in the universe that's providing us guidance and protection and healing. Yeah, I I totally agree with you. As a person who's um, nearly lost my life twice from anaphylactic allergic reactions, I don't know if you, you mm-hmm. probably know what those are. <laughs> I have yeah, a severe, I yeah, I mean, I've almost died twice. And one of them, I almost uh, died with uh, being six months pregnant um, after oh eating a, a uh-huh. cookie with walnuts. And so, and we stayed in the hospital for a week after that. I thoroughly believe in angels and the presence of, um, I would say, being, you it's the first time I've really heard it described like that. And so I wrote it down. Um, like the miracles happen where that moment where you know you're going to die and miraculously mm-hmm. you don't. Um, when you're calling mm-hmm. to God going, please don't let me die. I have so much more to do. And I promise if I live, I'll do this, that, or another thing. And, you know, all the things you say, um, I totally believe believe that. Um, and believe well, people who say that and um, have been through it. Well, I will share with you, one of the best books I ever read that calmed me post all of this was uh, written by um, uh, The Proof of Heaven. 
Oh, I love that. Have you read that yet? I have. I love that book. It was written by a neurologist. I mean, he wrote wrote about his experience where he almost died um, and um, believed he was in heaven for the seven days that he he lay there. um, You know, and even Alexander, I tried to say his name and didn't pronounce it, so I apologize to anybody, you know, but, but... it allowed for me, he was an neurosurgeon that talked about, and when I read his book, it helped me to understand how my mind worked that day. So much so, I've never written a letter to an author, another author in my life, and I wrote it to thank him for bringing um, the analytical, to understand it analytically, what happened that day. And so there's too many people out there now that, from every walk of life, uh, from an everyday, you know, mom that's home with the kids to a neurosurgeon who had this amazing experience, that it's, there's too many facts at this point to negate it that and poo-poo it off that it's 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 not significant in our culture now. Yeah, I'd, I'm not one to write letters to other authors either, and um, I... I think about you a lot like that. I'm like, I'm so glad I've met you. You give me courage, girl. <laughs> you know, oh, me that. too. I mean, you've yeah. given me the ability. You've given me a great Boy. gift too. You know, I, I appreciate this opportunity and to share, like I said, with you and your audience. It's just, you know, we find grace every day. And I think the most important thing is to be grateful for it. And I'm grateful for uh for you and for you having uh, initiated the contact. And I know that um, it's not going to be the last time. It's only the beginning of where the fellowship will move. So thank you very much. Uh-uh. Thank you very much too. It's, it's wonderful for you to be here. And I'm going to, I'm going to wind us down a little bit, um, but I don't want to go without you mentioning um, your literary event because not only are you an author and former, you know, FBI agent, you know, all these neat things about you, but you do some amazing work for um, other authors. Um, do you want to talk about what you've got coming up and what that all is and how it got started? Well, well, it it got started because I had knowledge, skills, and abilities from, you know, the public affairs piece of, of being an employee for the Bureau. And, um, and my background is being a training instructor. And I saw, as I moved around through the country, many authors would approach me, and I'm sure that's the same with you, um, especially when they know you hear you were a Hay House author. They come up and mm-hmm. ask you about their experience. And you listen to their stories and think, oh, my God, that would be so wonderful for somebody else to know. But they hit a brick wall because they don't know how to move through the process or maybe – you know, don't know somebody that could help them market or like you, you know, you struggle to market every, we all do. Yeah. Um, and um, so I prayed one day to help take the knowledge, skills, and abilities that I learned from public relations and, if, you know, to transfer it into something because I missed serving. I still miss serving. I'll miss it to the day I die. And so what I came up with is to create events, literary events, that allowed other authors to showcase their work. And so we had uh, 2015 and 2016. Uh, This year will be bigger. Um, It's called Passages in Prose. And it's held, I can't take credit for it. All I do well is pick uh, uh, great community collaborators and sponsors. And so this will be our third year. And um, uh, we are hoping to have about 75 authors this year. And last year we brought on uh, WQED, it's the local PBS station, mm-hmm. and they brought the young people into it. So we have young writers, oh, cool. uh, you know, that write their stories too. And we have mentoring of the adult writers with the young writers. So I feel like once again I'm serving. Okay, it's not law enforcement. But it it fulfills me to be able to help other people, and that was a piece of the puzzle that was missing. So to to help 
others bring their literary works forward. And we're not really focused on whether they're self-published. We have self-published authors. We have indie authors. And we have traditionally published authors. We look for, like, the you know, the stories, and actually Mm -hmm. they come forward, kind of like how you manifested. You came Mm -hmm. forward, you know, like the connection. So the connections just are ongoing like how it is. So to me, that's how you know when you're doing what you're supposed to be doing because there's no struggle with it. And so to be able to show others beautiful works is a way of giving back for the gifts I've received. You know, uh, having been gifted with Hay House wanting to uh, publish the book is not something everybody gets. So I want to be able to do something for those that can help them fulfill their dreams. I I think it's important. So if, if that's the direction we've gone professionally and it, it brings me great joy to see the first time they hold up their book in front of like a group. It's it's just, it's, cool, isn't it's just amazing to watch. It is. The smile I'm, on their face is no different than Christmas for a kid, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm on this uh this uh journey I think of helping um kids and teens find their voice to be able to write. Um and not so mm-hmm. much about like all the punctuation that goes with it. I think people stop and think they're mm-hmm. not good writers because they don't know how to punctuate. And where it came mm-hmm. from was um, helping my ki- my own ch- three uh, children who will all three be in college in the fall at once. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. I hear that. God bless. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, <laughs> anybody has a job oh, wow. for me or any money you want to give yeah. or donate. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so, wow. huh? so where it came isn't that funny? Yeah. So where the vo- where helping people find their voice came from, aside from the laughter, there is um, when they went in to write their college applications. All of them, the colleges mm-hmm. they were applying for, asked them to write essays, and they they were stuck. They're like, yeah. well, you know, I've written tons of papers. I can yeah. cite this mm-hmm. and cite that and do all this mm-hmm. stuff. But what do I do for this? And I'm like, you got to write like you're talking. You got to tell somebody mm-hmm. what you want or what you're good at or what you you know what your goals mm-hmm. are, dreams are. And I love that. And uh, when people find their voice and can pen it, it's cool. Well, I think it helps them heal too. Regardless, you know, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter like what the. The, what's going on inside, I think the writing of it, just like, you know, the, the psychologist had said to me to read three pages every day of a book that allows you to dream, not a self-help and not uh, like religious, but something that allows your mind to go somewhere away from the trauma. And then she said to write three pages every day. And if you look at like books like The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron, that's one of the things she tells you for writer's block to do. So we're going to have a conversation because I think, uh, you know, when we hang up we can talk about other things, you mm-hmm. know, schedule. But I think I can, uh, I can lead you in the direction too with some resources that are out there in multimedia. Yeah. Um, okay, okay, so we're going to leave with, you know, I really appreciate it. And um, thank you so much for being with me today. Oh, no, thank it's, you. It was great. Uh, it was like okay. sitting across the table from you and just chatting. So thank you. Yeah. You yeah, made it, it easy. It, I get frustrated a lot because I can't get to the people I want to meet. <laughs> so I, I use the radio and I just, I'm like, oh, I wish I could just get in a car or hop on a plane and get there. And so this, this is beautiful, and it and um, I'll I'll see you probably in October. But I I just love you and thank you very much, and I'm so proud of you for your books and kiss all the grandchildren and your daughter and and, and your everybody. children and blessings with those with those three at once. <laughs> That's <laughs> going to be funny? amazing, huh? That'll be a story in itself. Huh? I think people follow me on Twitter just to laugh at me about that. <laughs> Well, One of them got a, I'm laughing out of joy. I mean, just oh, imagine yeah, no, what cool. an accomplishment, you know? It's pretty cool. Yeah. So I'll email you some dates and we'll get back on the, you know, on the, on phone, the phone and yeah. let's for yeah, and we'll chat. But thank you so much okay. for the opportunity and to help me to plug my works and uh yeah. and what I do. Thank you so much. Take care. Absolutely. All right, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um
Thank you very thank much you. for being here. And um, everybody, thank you for listening to us. Um, we really, really appreciate Lily being with us today. It's so cool to have her on. I've been, I've been uh, waiting patiently for this day to arrive. And I just want to remind you before we go about her books. Um, they are available wherever books are sold. She's a Hay House author. Um, the first book is In the Shadow of a Badge. The second book is The White Light of Grace. And then she also has a literary event called Passages and Prose. I'll put links up that go with the show to all of her books. I'll, I also always follow up each show with a blog on besteveryou.com. So it'll give you her bio, her books, her links, images, you know, all that good stuff all in one spot. So you have Lily all in one spot. Um, and then her website is lilyleonardi.com. It's L-I-L-L-I-E-L-E. O-N-A-R-D-I dot com. And so we really appreciate her being with us today. And um, just thank you all so much for listening. And um, look for your angels. They're there. I I just love that. So I'm so glad we're talking about angels. I just love my angels. So um, on Friday, we're going to have a show. We usually do our shows on Thursday, but um, our guest is going to come on Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern time. Her name is Sherrianna Boyle, and um, uh, you'll love her work as well. Um, she's the author of several books. Um, if you suffer from any kind of anxiety or depression, she talks about the four gifts of anxiety. Usually people uh, put anxiety in a negative light, and she shows you how to work really positively with it. So I'm looking forward to talking with her about that. And then she also has another book, a newer one out called Mantras Made easy and I'm really enjoying reading that book too so um, I wish you all a lot of love thank you so much for listening and um, you can visit us at besteveryou.com for more information or tweet me at besteveryou and I am there and I'll get back to you right away so thank you everybody enjoy your day thank you thank you for listening to the best ever you network for more information just visit us at besteveryou.com Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.